Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Scoopy Radio in your area code, on the plane, on the train. Everywhere you want to be, I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Scoopy, Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. And make sure to subscribe to the Scoopy Radio podcast on all platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, or simply visit ScoopBradio.com. And it's the playoffs, and uh, we've got people from all walks of life who have perspective and Kind of someone coming in to bring it in is a guy that I I've met via Twitter and I think we're going to be friends for a long time. Is none other than Brian Oringer. You will know him uh, from his work in media at ScoutWithBrian.com. But before all that happened, uh, he was a video coordinator with the Washington Wizards from 2013 to 2017, and was an advanced scout with the Atlanta Hawks uh, and the Toronto Raptors. So first of all, Brian, welcome to Scoopy Radio. This is Scoopy Radio. Thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it. What um, is your perspective of, of the playoffs right now? I mean, we saw it last night, um, Kawhi Leonard hoisting up a shot. We're all fans of basketball, regardless of, you know, what position we work in. From a video guy, is this a, is this a, a video person's dream right now? How are you looking right now? Yeah, you know, it's going to be playoffs. I think we just, you know, to have uh, as many seasons as we have and, and to have a other beater uh, finish a game seven was something that, you know, hasn't been done in a, ever, I think. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought the Houston State, I was telling people that was like my version of the, uh, the NBA Finals. I, I think those are the two best teams in the league, to be honest with you. I, I thought the Toronto series was, was incredible, obviously. I thought, you know, Portland, uh, Pulling it off on the road was was amazing. It was nice to see, uh, you know, the mid range jumpers alive and well, and, and CJ McCollum and those guys. So, yeah, oh, it's been uh, it's been great to watch so far, and uh, I think it'll continue to be. Brian Orringer on the line with Scoopy Radio. Make sure if you're in the Los Angeles area and are interested in the basketball coaching session, check out his coach up uh, profile, and also. Uh, Subscribe to him on Patreon uh, as well uh, for all the latest in uh, anything basketball. Um, you talked about the mid-range game, and, and you look at C.J. McCollum, you look at 
uh, Damian Lillard. You look at uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard. They all came from mid-majors. And then you look at Giannis Antetokounmpo. He came from Europe. Uh, as a guy who works in the NBA, do you like the diversity that is in the league right now uh, for guys that are coming from big schools that are currently running the basketball world in the, in the last four teams in the NBA? Yeah, like, for sure. And I, I think it's you too. You know, I, I think one of the biggest things to me has just always been that, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of the game's still just about work ethic and, and how you want it. And I think a lot of those guys, you know, even Jimmy Butler being a end of first round pick and, you know, Paul George and all these guys were kind of under the radar a little bit. And, you know, they use that to, to continue to, to fuel them and make them work as hard as they do, you know. So I think when you look at guys who are top picks, top three picks sometimes, uh, you know, they've gone to big school, they're top recruits, they, they've had a lot of stuff handed in their lives. And then you look at guys, mid-majors or late picks or, you know, Isaiah Thomas, end of second round picks. You know, there's been guys in the league who have made it up from, from any draft spot. Jokic being a second round pick that nobody had heard of. You know, I think a lot of times those things are what uh, fueling guys, you know, to, to really become great and, and prove a lot of people wrong. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I think the diversity is great. I think, you know, I've said like stars, doesn't matter, you're four star, five star, be a you know, some of these guys have been two groups coming in. You know, there's uh, there's such an opportunity in basketball. They're just, you know, it's truth. It's about uh, how hard you work, you know, what you're going to put into the game, and the game rewards you if you if you put everything in. So it's been awesome awesome to see the best of those guys and, uh, you know, everybody else for speak like that. Brian, you spent seven years working in the NBA. <clears throat> what was your entry point to the NBA? Yeah, so I, uh, when I was at college at the University of Maryland, worked uh, for Gary Williams. Um, you know, it's like a manager. My first couple of years, school there, and then uh, after my years at Maryland, I, I happened to send an email. Wizards, actually, he's the interim GM right now, Tommy Shepard. Um, you know, just asking if I could pick his brain and you know, take him to learn about you know what he does a little bit. And I just happened to mention you know what I did in terms of the video work, the scouting work. Uh, you know, he said that the Wizards actually needed somebody currently who could uh, who could do things and, and have that skill set. So uh, I was fortunate enough to, to intern at the Wizards for my last two years um, as an undergrad and then became full-time right out of school. So really it was just, uh, you know, good timing, some luck, and uh, you know, uh, put, putting yourself out there, I think, is this thing. You kind of have to just, you know, show willing to learn and I, I legitimately wasn't even for a job or internship or anything I just wanted to, to learn from Tommy and it ended up you know letting me work with the team for for six years basically so it was uh yeah it was awesome timing awesome luck and all those things did you actually play the game in college or in, in high school <laughs> I didn't actually no, I was I was a tennis player in high school but I I played the uh, you know, I, I still can play, like, pick up religiously. I mean, I, I playing with the Wizards and stuff, you know, I, I probably only look like, you know, D2, D3-ish for the players. That, that's kind of my level, so not uh, not very good by any means. I, I quickly realized that my only way into the game was going to be through, you know, work ethic and through really knowing, uh, you know, knowing the X's and O's, knowing the video stuff, knowing the terminology. So, 
my uh, my route was not exactly on the player's side. Do you find that because you did not play, or for anyone who did not play, there is a class system amongst those who did play and host those who didn't play in the NBA, and how did you overcome that? Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely hard. You know, you, things like you saw, you know, like in the ball movie, for example, you know, there's some scenes where it's like uh, all the old school guys, you know, at war with these uh, new school, you know, analytics people and, and people think are trying to take their jobs or reinvent the game or any of those things. So, yeah, it's definitely something I had to overcome. You know, you've got a lot of coaches who have been in it for, for 30 years and pouring over uh, – the game their entire lives and uh mm-hmm. you know it, you just have to kind of earn their trust and, and show how badly you want to learn from them and that you, you know, respect them and don't think you know everything and i i had that at times you know i think i came in kind of thinking i i knew everything you know from analytics and from what i read and so on when you uh you know when you have an open mind and get to hear their perspective you get to understand more you know why those guys have been coaching 30 years, you know, how they've devoted their entire lives to, to studying the game. So I think it's just being humble and just uh, keeping an open mind, like I said, and, and eventually you know, they open up to you a little bit and realize sure. that you, you know, just want to want to help the team win games. Really. Brian Oringer on the line with Scoopy Radio talking about uh, analytics and more. I, LeBron James put out a tweet uh, the other day uh, where he basically – and I'm looking for the tweet as I'm talking to you, but essentially what I gathered from it uh, was basically talking about the difference between just playing the game and stats. Um, And this is what he said. He said, oh, that's exactly why I don't want to hear all that analytics talk. And playoff games, when it usually comes down to one or two possession games down the stretch, just get me buckets. The best shot during that possession, and it's a pull-up to then so be it, because it was the best shot. Do you think there is a separation between church and state, between the people who just feel you should just do it, it's about the players versus the analytics, and where do you merge the two? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was pretty funny to see uh, a lot of the analytics do the up-in-arms about that tweet. I mean, I think, uh, I think first of all, you know, when LeBron use the word analytics there. I don't I don't think he's you know, he doesn't like any analytics or he want to talk about numbers at all. You know, I think what he meant probably is the analytics community as a whole is kind of uh like a, a mid range is dead narrative or, you know, that uh, the narrative that long twos are, are bad shots or dumb shots. You know, that's specifically the words that Goldberry even used. You know, he said with the exception of uh I think layups, he said mid range or two-point shots are just dumb choices. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of players just take offense to them because it's just, quite frankly, wrong. You know, you, like we said, you look at Kawhi, you look at uh, Jimmy Butler, you look at Dame, you look at KD, you know, how many of the elite scorers in the league, the elite scorers in the playoffs, you know, still operate out of the mid-range. And I think it was pretty telling. Like yesterday, you know, you see a team like Portland that, you know, when things went down, they had a guy in CJ who could, up from the elbow and get his own shot. You know, then uh, you know, continued to jack up threes and didn't really have anybody that can, uh, you know, could get their own bucket when it counted. So, yeah, I, I think it's pretty telling that you see pretty much every every player, you know, come to the defense of the mid range shot and, and say that, you know, it's still a, a valuable part of the game, it's a valuable 
part is you want to be an elite scorer. Uh, every coach I've been around has pretty much said that same thing, and the, you know, the analytics community tends to get very sensitive about that and uh, not take kindly to it. But, yeah, I, mean, I wish that uh, we could find a day when, you know, a bunch of people on Twitter don't think they know about that. Comical, <laughs> to be honest. Scoopy ready on the line talking all things basketball. You're you were with the Washington Wizards for four years. You're full time traveling with the Wizards as their head video coordinator. What do you remember most about that time with the Wizards? Yeah, no, I, I just uh, I definitely remember. You know, it was great to be a part of kind of a, a culture change. You know, we uh, when I started, especially interning with the team. You know, it was uh, it was the Nick Young, Javale McGee, Andre Blotch years and. I remember, you know, I went from, like I said, working for Gary Williams, you know, who was a super fiery coach, to being in the NBA and seeing those guys walking at halftime down 20, nothing about it, you know. So it was kind of a, it was a culture shock to see a team that was really terrible, you know, when I first started there and winning, you know, 20 something games every year. And it was, it was great to be a part of a culture turnaround, you know, with John Wall and Brad Beal and, uh, Paul Pierce for a season. All those guys helped help change the Colts into into more of a winning environment. And you know, we won uh, 49 games the last season I was there. We made the second round of the playoffs a few times. You know, pushed to Game Sevens a bunch. Um, so you know, it was, it was a group of guys to be around. A lot of really professional guys: Jared Dudley, Nene Humphreys, uh, Mech Okafor, Trevor Ariza. You know, I got to be around and, and see how a lot of uh, you know, real vets operate and how they approach their crafts, and it was a, you know, a really awesome, illuminating experience. Here's my question: <clears throat> You work with the Wizards while Javale McGee was there. Um, you've seen him evolve into a, a viable, you know, big man. Uh, he transitioned over to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, did took care of business. Went over to the Lakers. Was had a, a strong first half of the season uh, with the Lakers. For, from you editing video of McGee, what do you think is the biggest, what was the biggest turnaround for him from transitioning from the Wizards to the Warriors to the Lakers? Yeah, he, he uh, I grouped him in with others just because he was so young and it was such a young team. JaVale, probably of those guys, you know, might have gotten it the most. So he, he was a, uh, he was a good kid, a hard professional kid. He kind of uh, himself a little bit, but he he was you know a good guy. He wasn't uh, you know I'm not much uh, you know I'm not going to speak terribly about anyone, but you know it was just pretty clear buddy that he kind of let his weight balloon and get the professional side. You know, Javale was he was a worker and he got it. You know, so we turned to Denver. He was there for a few years and then you know eventually Golden State and Lakers, but. Uh, I think he, he just found his role in the league. He, he found a role for Golden State. He only ten minutes a game, but he was uh, he played hard. He was a lob guy. He was set good screens and you know get those uh, dump offs from from uh, Clay and those guys. And you know for the Lakers, I think he uh, they asked a little too much of him. You know I think he's he's still physically it wasn't fair to ask him to play. 20 minutes a game and be a, a starting there and, and really battle the, the physical as like Valanciunas. You know, I think he kind of got exposed a little bit in that way, but I, I think he's been, you know, he's at least a, uh, a solid back, you know, center in the league and a, a good 
good old guy, a decent shot blocker, things like that. So I'm happy for him. I mean, I'm happy that he's uh, carved out a role in the league. And, you know, anybody to be a 10-year pro or whatever he is at this point is, is impressive any way you look at it. You know, he, he, I got a lot of flack from all the Shaq stuff and all the <laughs> stuff early in his career. But, he, you know, he was, he was a smart kid. He made some, some silly plays and some mistakes. But he, he was always a worker. He was a professional. So good to see a guy like that have success. What was the biggest transition from being uh, the head video coordinator with the Wizards to, I would imagine, there was more responsibility as the regional event scouting uh, person for both the Raptors and the Hawks? What, what were the biggest differences there? Yeah, so for those teams, you know, I was I was basically like an independent contractor. So I just, uh, you know, I, I'd go to like probably 60 games over the course of the season for those teams combined. So it was different. You know, you're not... Uh, not full time with the team and with the team every day. So I definitely miss, you know, that side of being in the locker room, being in the coaches meetings every day, you know, being fully involved with the team. Um, but the advanced side was, was cool too. I mean, I, uh, you know, with the wizards, I was in the locker room, uh, coding the game, you know, on the, uh, on the computer every game, but last season getting to actually be out there <laughs> to, to watch some real basketball in person for 60 games was, was great. You know, you get to sit, almost on press row and, uh, you know, just play calls from the, uh, from the coaches and watch the game really closely and get to network some scouts and, uh, band scouts around the league. So definitely two very different jobs. But, uh, I really, I enjoyed what I did for those teams as well. And, uh, you know, it, I, I've been very thankful that I've gotten to, to work for three different teams and, uh, have the experience that I've had. Eric Spolster, head coach of the Miami Heat, uh, started out, uh, with the Heat, uh, basically uh, as an assistant coach, uh, did, his track was in video, editing video. He came in the same year that um, Dwayne Wade and Udonis Haslam came in. Um, would you say that that path is is almost like a Cinderella story, or, or, or just not common for most guys in the NBA? Uh, yeah, but, you know, you look at it, there's a, you know, Mike Boonholzer was video, Vogel started in, in the video room, uh, Mike Brown, James Brago, you know, there's a ton of coaches around the league now who, uh, you know, started in the video room. And, uh, you know, I, I tell people who, like, want to get into basketball and who, who want to coach that that's, that's probably the, the best path and best way in, you know, especially if you're not somebody... You know, if you're like me, if you weren't a, a player, if you want to get in, you you have to prove yourself to your room, and that's the best way to to over the tape and learn the X's and O's and and learn and work with coaches and so on. So, you know, my recommendation to people is always you know, find a local college, find a, a G team, something you know, wherever you can, you, you can, but let you you know cut video and help out in those rooms. And yeah, you know, you see. Like I said, I think there's like five or ten coaches now that uh, that started in the video room or were video coordinators at some point. So it's definitely a great uh, segue to a coaching position. And you know, if uh, if you don't have a big name or, or weren't a big player yourself, it's probably your best bet to to become a coach someday. If that's what you want to do. What's next for you? Yeah, trying to uh, to figure all that out. I uh, <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed, you know being on Twitter and doing a lot of the YouTube breakdowns and so on. You know, I put out a uh, an in-depth breakdown that you were kind enough to, to retweet about the uh, 
the Warriors play, they ran down the stretch 10 times against the Rockets and uh, really won that game six with. And it's, I think it's up almost 20,000 views or something on YouTube. So that's dope. just trying to, uh, yeah, just trying to provide some, uh, some content that, you know, basketball junkies enjoy. And I've, I've enjoyed the reception so far. I think, you know, people have been really into it and, and coaches appreciate it and, and kids are trying to get into the game. So I'm just trying to, uh, to do that side and uh, keep stuff out there and, and see what happens, but definitely looking for uh, you know the right outlet or right you know venue to really figure it out. But uh, I'm appreciated you know all the stuff I put out at the bar and getting to meet some some great people you know on the media side like yourself, and uh, it's definitely you know uh, given me a new way to see the game as well. A lot of a lot of interesting minds out there and uh, interesting personalities, so it's been fun. Brian Oring, you're on the line with Scoopy Radio, talking about video coordinating, time with the with the Washington Wizards, and more. And um, you are a millennial, just like myself. Um, and I find that Instagram has given people a platform to, you know, put out videos and more. Um, do you find that this is a? Do you think that the the aspirations to be a video coordinator or coaching? has become kind of oversaturated uh, in today's game. Like, how do you differentiate yourself from other people? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's funny that the, one of the pieces of advice I give people actually who, who want to work in it do, or uh, I actually tell people get off Twitter, you know, stop blogging, stop, stop Instagramming, because truthfully, I mean, teams are, are not, you know, really hiring uh, from those outlets, you know, I, and it's, it's funny, you see some kids that are 20 years old and have, you know, YouTube channels with 100,000 subscribers, and it's, uh, they ask me, like, oh, I, I want to do what you did, and I want to work for a team, and so on, and then my piece of advice to them is uh, basically stop what you're doing, but uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's because honestly, like I said, you know, I think there's such a disconnect between, you know, what people on blogs think is, is good basketball or good analysis, and you know, what people on Instagram think versus what actual coaches and what actual players, you know, know and believe and have seen from their experience. So, you know, there's nothing really like actually being there and learning, you know, from doing and, and watching a game with a coach. I mean, if you haven't done any of those things, if you haven't actually, you know, sat with a coach and watched the full game and, and get to see the game from their perspective, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to really be qualified to, to understand the game at that level, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's some guys out there think are doing great work and uh, good video, good analysis, but, you know, for the most part, if you haven't been there, if you haven't worked on that piece, it's, it's hard to to really know up. And I, I, like I said, I think that's the best way to kind of put in the door, and that's that's what I'd recommend to even people that have big Instagram, YouTubes, and so on. If, if they want to really get it, I'd say, you know, make sure you get experience on the team side. Yeah, it's almost like um, can they find you work in written form? Who's talking about you? It has nothing to – if you don't have the balance of the following and the blog mentions from other people, what other people are saying about you, not what you're saying about yourself, you don't exist. Yeah, no, it's uh, – you know, it's funny. you see some of these accounts that are like, uh, you know, they just have basketball in the name. And I've seen a little bit of a – be a psychological phenomenon. I think people are much likely to hit the hit the follow button, and you know, if it has 
basketball forever or whatever in the name, you know, even though the person running the account might be a 18 year old kid who hasn't played, hasn't coached, doesn't, doesn't really know the stuff at all, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, I just think, uh, there, there's some good minds out there and there's, there's Steve Jones who does great work and in an NBA video room, you know, there's Ben Falk who was an analytics guy, you know, for a team was a, a vice president for, I think the Sixers and, uh, there's some guys that, that really know their stuff, but, uh, know what they're talking about but it's funny those guys are the ones that actually have the the smallest profiles you know and we choose to really prop up the accounts that just have the b-ball whatever in their name you know a lot of those aren't necessarily the ones that uh that know their stuff the best you i'm looking at your blog and you discuss um Basically, what happened in the in Brooksgate? This was December sixteenth, two thousand and eighteen. Um, and you discuss um, the Wizards and how Walsh got his information in, uh, in the trade that did not happen. Um, and I'm curious. Um, in the article that you wrote or in the blog that you wrote, you talked about the Wizards and you said that they leak information. Um, to the media. Um, how common, I know what it is because I'm in it and I get information all the time. People question it. How different is it what the wizards do in comparison to maybe some of the other teams that, that you've worked with as far as leaking information to people and what just, what makes the wizards different than any other team? Yeah. You know, uh, like I said, being with the Hawks and Raptors, I was you know, not, not full time with them. So I can't really tell they operate. You know, my only, my experience was with the Wizards, and, and to be honest, I think it's, you know, I don't think anything they did was, was uncommon. You know, I think uh, most teams in the league, as you know, I'm sure, you know, uh, leak selective pieces of information to the media and then obviously tell Woj things because he's, you know, he breaks the most. He's done the best best job of it. But, yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, each team probably has one or two who, who speak to guys like Woj or Sam and, and you, you know, guys that uh, have scoops and that, that do a good job getting the intel. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of a it's a trade-off. You know, I think you balance, you know, you, you have some things, you, you hold back others, and you hope that they'll, you know, occasionally do courtesy of uh, giving you a heads up if they're, writing something about your team or hearing something about your team or so on. But, uh, you know, this stuff's kind of all natural. I think, you know, front offices respect that media has a job to do and those guys are there to, to find info and to find stories and so on. And, uh, you know, you realize it can, it can be a two-way uh, mutually beneficial street if you're, you know, if you respect and treat people the right way. So I think that, uh, yeah, I think they did probably what almost every team in the league does and, and you know, occasionally tell things, and it's all fair game. I like your answer. You train well. Um, Scoopy Radio in the line with my main man talking about everything video, basketball, and more. What's next for you? Where can people find more information about what you got going on for the summer? Just uh, on the Twitter, ScoutWithBrian, and then com. Uh, where you can kind of find all my videos, date, all the uh, articles or pods and 
I've been on, but uh, yeah, just trying to keep uh, pumping out content. I did a high in the, the film breakdown, a John Moran film breakdown. I, I'd like to take a look at some more of these uh, top five or ten draft props and kind of formulate what I think about them a little bit. But uh, yeah, just trying to keep, uh, especially you know, through the playoffs, a lot more stuff. The conference finals, the champion, you know, a lot of hardcore X's and O's, and uh, see what see what people want and what they think, and uh, keep doing the thing. Hopefully, the NBA draft lottery is on Tuesday, and I mean, really, uh, I spoke with Clark Kellogg, uh, who basically said that he felt that uh, John Morant was a taller uh, Allen Iverson, uh, but had good passing skills, and you know, obviously the Russell Westbrook comparisons come to mind. Um, what do you think of John Moran's game when you, when you break down video? You said you're looking to do that over the summer with the draft coming. I don't know if you've done any pre, pre-editing yet, but what are you looking at with John Moran currently? Yeah, so I've looked at him and Zion so far, and I, uh, I, I like what I've seen a lot from Zion. I think he, uh, I think he becomes like a top five passer in the NBA right away. You know, I think he's a, a surefire, you know, starting point guard from day one. I see some of the, uh, the Aaron Fox, Bending him a little bit. I see a little Mike Conley. You know, I, I didn't really see like the explosion of like a guy like you know Russ or or even AI. You know, I I don't see you know that that kind of scoring or that kind of explosiveness to be honest. But I see a guy who you know makes the right play every single time and uh, can make every pinpoint pass. You know, with both hands uh, to find shooters all over the court. who just reads the game phenomenally well. Plays with a great pace. Um, you know, attack this guy one on one. You know, in the kind of pace and space uh, era of basketball we're in now, I think his, his game's just a really good fit. And uh, yeah, you know, I think he Zion is probably you know the hottest ceiling in the draft. But I, I think John might be the most day ready. You know, I think he um, might be my rookie of the year favorite. And if, if I was a team like Chicago or, or even Phoenix, you know, that really needed a point guard, I mean. If I, if I win the lottery, I, I would even think about, you know, maybe trading out of that spot uh, if you could get some old assets to go down to two. Which, uh, you know, just because I think uh, he's going to be an all-star in the league. I think he's he's a sure thing. And I, I had a few more questions about uh, Zion, to be honest with you. I, I think he's a really good prospect, but I'm, uh, I'm not as sold on him as, uh, as some of the other, you know, guys out there. Expand on that more because I think we're on the same wavelength. I look at Zion Williamson. I think that he was a great college player, um, and I think people are pushing him uh, to be the next LeBron. But I think he is more of a combination of a Blake Griffin and a Julius Randle than he is LeBron. I agree completely. Yeah, I, I've, I've said he's uh, he's a supercharged uh, Julius Randle or, or maybe a Blake, but uh, I think keeping the LeBron comparisons on has been unfair to the kid and just. You know, ridiculous to be honest with you. You know, watch film. I see a guy who uh, is probably left hand dominant, has to use his left hand, uh, right shoulder uh, in the, almost every single time, drives left almost every time. You know, ultimately at the NBA level, it's going to be, you know, kind of an undersized format who, you know, isn't really a great shooter from three, isn't a great ball handler. He'll make his impact, uh, you know, at Randall or like a supercharged Draymond. You know, he's going to play hard. He's going to block shots, rebound. He's going to play with a high motor. You know, he has all those things going for him. And I think, I, you know, he'll, he'll be an all-star in the league some. But 
yeah, I, I just don't really see uh, what some people see in terms of being like a transcendent, you know, best in 15 years type. I, you know, I don't see that ball handling ability. I don't that passing ability. I, uh, very good prospect, but I think he's a lot more flawed uh, than some people are willing to admit so far. And I look at R.J. Barrett, I think he's one of the most polished guys going into the draft off, off the cuff because he's had practice as a Canadian uh, all-star and, and playing at a high level since 15. But I also think it comes down to the, the tutelage and the, and the, and the, and the um, I guess, the polish of being under his dad and his godfather, Steve Nash. Yeah, look at- those are... Those are- uh, yeah, I was just saying those are good people to, from for sure, and I, I think Pedigree is a, a huge. And uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't been out in depth uh, specifically yet, but I heard some good things, and I started uh, I really diving into his film because you know when you're as hyped as you are, you know, you're going to have doubters, and you're going to have people say, you know, you weren't good enough. But uh, you know, it's like for him to have to do it at, at Duke competition they play you know as much as i love uh in fairness to like he was playing a much higher level of competition than rant was you know playing at murray state I sure that's that's something people forget sometimes so yeah but then when you look at when you look at john morant you know the whole murray state thing you're a big fish in a smaller pond that actually gives you the opportunity i'll use this example sometimes when you're a big fish in a small pond you get to see the interworkings of everything. You can know what's going on in the coach's mind. You know what's going on in the concession stands. You know what the trainer's thinking. You know all those different things. And then you channel that into the NBA. Look at somebody like Dwayne Wade who went to Marquette, who was in his 2003 draft class, wasn't as highly heralded as, as the LeBron James or Carmelo Anthony or even a Darko Milicic. Look at the result. A guy that has multiple championships, a guy that's reinvented himself a lot. I think sometimes, you know, you even look at a guy like, you know, uh, C.J. McCollum's, as well as uh, Damian Lillard, Weber State, and, and Lehigh, respectively. Um, sometimes when you go through the, the, the ringer and, and you go through all those different things, it actually makes you a better player. I look at John Morant that same way. For sure. No, I think, uh, you know, it, what's great, too, is I, I think the got to have, like you mentioned, all those things that, you know, you see it with a coach, you see see the different perspectives. But in addition, you know, getting to be the guy that has to for 30 every night for his team to have a chance has to, you know, he handled the ball 40 minutes every single game of the tournament, you know, like that kind of, that kind of role is something there at Duke, you know, you've got to balance, mm-hmm. you know, given Zion the ball, it's on given the ball, you know, when you're the, the folk, you the guy who's got the, the X on his back every single time, it's it yep. kind of, uh, yeah, it makes you end your play just like a little alert or any of those that came from uh, some smaller schools, like you said. What do you make of Cam Reddish? Yeah, I, I really like. I said I, I I like watching guys like I watch I watch some NBA to be honest with you that I only watch a few games over the course of the season. Sure. So well, when I do my Zion or Josh stuff, I like to really dive in for like five or ten games and, and really watch in depth. So mm-hmm. I've only caught bits and pieces of anybody else to be honest with you. So I don't uh, I don't feel qualified enough to give an opinion on on him yet. But uh, sure, yeah, he's one of the guys. Like I said, I, I hope to hope to get to in the uh, weeks when I hopefully have a little more time. No, that's fair, and and it's interesting you bring that up because during the tournament, a guy that I, whose game I actually fell in love with was Taco Fall of UCF, 
And it's interesting because when I look at Taco Fall, it kind of ties into a conversation in an interview that I had with Ray Allen in February where he said that, you know, he sees the game going back to uh, a big man uh, role or at least an infusion of, of the big man role where, you know, you have a guy like Taco Fall who is a traditional big man who can get to the basket. But then, you know, you look, you take the question, look around the NBA, you see hybrids like Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers or, you know, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, and more. From your perspective in doing video work, do you see that there will, obviously the Golden State Warriors set the, set the tone for today's game, uh, that's being played currently. Do you see any throwbacks to with the way the game is going, used to be played uh, coming as a trend anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, kind of like the, the death of the mid-range game was, was premature and overstated. I, I think the death of the, the post-up game is has kind of been the same way, you know. I think you see guys like like Embiid or, or like Jokic, you know, can uh, can punish their guy down low, and I think it's still a it's a valuable skill set. And then you look at teams like like Houston or Utah, you know, when you got Capella and Gobert, who are more kind of like this new model, you know, they uh, they set screens, they roll, they block shots, they catch lobs. That's pretty much what they do, which is great, you know. But then. Uh, if you go against teams that are that are switching everything, and you've got a, a six footer switched onto you, and you can't you can't score down low, you know, I tend to think that's uh, that's a problem occasionally. You know, it's or maybe even if it's not a problem, it just be a, a solution. If Clint Capella could, uh, you know, could score on Sean Livingston on a switch, I mean, I, I think that's something that would uh, would benefit Houston. You know, so yeah, I, I hope there are more guys like. Uh, you know, that are a little throwback and have some more post games and, and can do the the traditional big man stuff a little more. Cause I, like you said, I, I think that part of the game is still valuable. And I think, uh, you know, especially in today's game when, when teams <clears throat> switch pretty much everything, I think there becomes a premium on, uh, you know, having that being a guy that could, that could, you know, take a smaller defender into the post and, and get a bucket or draw a couple of defenders and, and find an open shooter. You know, I think it's, uh, it's a valuable thing to have, and I hope coaches are continuing to teach it and players are continuing to develop it. You all heard it here first. Uh, Scoopy Radio on the line with Ryan talking about everything basketball. I hope I didn't grow you too much, man. You were off the high seat. No, that, that was awesome. I, I really enjoyed uh, <clears throat> chatting with you and uh, respect the work you're doing, and uh, thanks a lot for having me. All right, my brother. I'm going to talk to you soon. Follow him on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere in between. Make sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel. He had over 21,000 uh, views on his uh, video uh, called The Play That Ended Houston Season. Uh, of course, talking about the Golden State Warriors. Check him out. He's a good read, good follow, good listen. Thanks, brother. Thank you, Scoop. Appreciate it. My man. Scoop B Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 